you know, the technology is there. I think it's the people bit and wherever you are, be kind, work with integrity, do your very best for your people and your patients, particularly in the health and care setting. I think that that's vitally important because I think if you're like that, people will talk to you and people will share with you the kind of issues they're dealing with. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, friends, or good evening, depending on where in the world you are right now. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And today I am lucky enough to be joined by Andy Rains. Andy, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. I really appreciate being on your show. Yeah, of course. Andy, so obviously I, I know who you are and, and what you do. For those of our guests who may not be familiar, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Yeah, thanks, David. So currently the Chief Information Officer and Senior Information Risk Owner at Royal Papworth Hospital, which is in Cambridgeshire in, in the UK. So it's a very exciting place to be. We've got something like uh, 350 beds. And we're a specialist provider of cardiothoracic care. Really excited to learn more about what you guys are up to. We've been getting much more involved in healthcare globally. And I think there's a lot of things that our community can learn from you and what you guys are up to there. So excited to dive into that. Before anything, though, we'd just like to start the episode with one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave the listeners with today. So I, I think it's such a challenging and busy time at the moment, seeing a lot of innovation in the digital space, which is really exciting. But I think in terms of one piece of actionable advice, I think is have a plan and be able to have the courage to carry out that plan and be able to stick to it. And I, I think those are things that sometimes they change, but they change too frequently. If you get to achieve something, have that plan to set out and be able to deliver it. Yeah, I think that's particularly important too when we see a lot of noise in the technology space, a lot of point solutions kind of floating out there, the shiny objects to really, like you said, have a plan, stick to it, 
great advice to kick things off here. And I, I think that that's because we live in this kind of what I call this ambidextrous sort of world, which is, you know, we can spend in the hospital 80% of our time keeping lights on, but all the time we're keeping lights on, there's things that are coming down the track. And my point of having a plan is that you can be bewildered and bedazzled by all those things coming down the track that you actually fail to do the day-to-day. And that's the important thing, particularly perhaps in a, in a hospital setting that the lights kept on and they're running bright and their performance and systems of performance. And the adoption of new technologies is really about 20% uh, of capacity, I would suggest, in health. So you've got to be careful about what you pick and choose to do in the right order to make sure you're making those transitional changes, which are adding value. Yeah. I like how you specified too, even like the percentage capacity. Like, I think that's, that just goes to that planning. incredibly crucial. So no, thank you for adding that, Andy. I appreciate it. Andy, before we get into what you guys are up to at at Royal Papworth, I do want to learn just a little bit more about you as an executive, as a leader. I know you're a top 100 CIO in the UK. Tell the audience just a little bit about kind of where, where you started out and how you got to the point in your career that you're at today. Thanks, David. Yeah. And I'm conscious Everybody has a story to tell. Uh, I have my own. And yes, firstly, to acknowledge the point, very feel very privileged and honored to make the CIO 100 this year. It's real, really encouraging and very rewarding, and, and I'm very honored. But yeah, I'm one of the exec directors on the trust board here at Royal Papworth. And you know, that, that privilege, I think, is also an honor and comes with great responsibility. And I think in the health and tech space, I've been working for about 20 plus years in health, offender health, social care, and doing many different roles within that to become a CI. But my journey started in a very different way. And I think while it's a great honor to be a CIO now, it wasn't necessarily my starting point. And that was actually becoming a hospital porter, David, which was many years ago. And I think my first job in the first week was probably moving bodies to a mortuary, taking patients to x-ray, collecting blood samples, driving trucks, collecting dirty linen. But I soon became aware of a technology project that was embarking in the hospital I was in at the time to implement. Do you remember those green screen Unix style computer systems? I think one was I, I can't remember the name of it, Swift Care or something. It was from a company called EDS. I think Ross, one of Ross Perot's old systems, but it was back in the early 90s. And it was my first exposure really to technology. And I really enjoyed it. I loved being part of the team, deploying it, seeing the wonderment actually in people's eyes as, you know, this kind of new technology. And uh, to be fair, wonderment and concern and anxiety in a lot of clinical staff because it required a great deal of change to support them in that way. But it's been a journey since I've been involved in many projects, including health, NHS, private care, working overseas, I went to Canada to work for a bit. But I started actually as a hospital porter because sadly, when I was in my teens, my father was killed in a drink drive accident. He was a vicar of the church. And my mum felt she should very much need to socialise and rehabilitate me in some way, working with people. And so unfortunately, I went to, or fortunately, I wasn't necessarily in the right frame of mind to 
to continue studies and I went to work as a hospital porter. Uh, I found it very grounding and actually looking back in terms of uh, as an exec role, often we talk about those issues around catering, cleanliness all the time, car parking. And they're very familiar from my days working as a porter. So it does add value. But as I said to you earlier, I said we each take an interesting route sometimes to the career point we're currently at. And I think it's been a great privilege. And I've been lucky enough to have a lot of leaders around me that hopefully have spotted a potential and have been willing to develop and invest time with me. But I eventually funded my own master's degree when I was 40 years old, David. And I think funding it myself made me want to strive and achieve and invest in myself. And I think sometimes before you invest in your teams, you need to invest in yourself and make sure you're growing as well. So that's a bit of a kind of spotted journey through my career. I hope that's helpful. Oh, it is. And, you know, it's really a beautiful story. I think starting in that type of place, I imagine helps you have a, a greater appreciation, empathy, compassion for your colleagues in the health system. And really, I mean, I was having this conversation yesterday with another CIO about how the significance of grounding myself in the humanity of what we're doing, you know, when, cause we, I work on all these technology initiatives and sometimes I can get lost in the tech of it. Right. But, you know, with your experience, I imagine that it's just, you know, that much easier to really be with the people you, you mentioned that that was part of your mom's kind of prerogative when she helped you get that position. That's absolutely spot on, David. I think, you know, to coin a phrase and without, you know, sounding too cheesy, there's no I in teams. And, you know, to make a CIO 100 is purely down to my team. And I, I owe them so much. They're a fantastic group of people to work with that I recognize. They inspire me. They work hard and they deliver. But as you say, it's about people. It's not necessarily the technology. And it's not to dis do a disservice to the, you know, some fun, fantastic innovations. And we talk a lot more about intelligent automation, AI, generative AI, and all these new technologies that are well cited on things like the Gartner Hype curve and, and so forth. But I think without them all, you still need people to help understand them, help uh, understand how you utilize them. And it's a bit like for each course, you need the right horse. And I think to have the right tool to your tool set is vitally important. So, you know, if your problem is a, a solution that you know, RFID might fix or AI might fix or intelligent automation. It's important to use the right tool for the job. So I think increasingly with that kind of ambidexterity, the CIO needs to know the tools within her or his toolbox and be able to reach for them to enable that change to happen, which I think is becoming more of a case of iterative rather than kind of whole systems. I think we're accepting that, you know, in clinical environments, we have to have a clinical safety case to check, you know, to absolutely ensure no harm comes to anybody in deploying new tech, but actually having more of an appetite to make sure that it also doesn't hold you up in terms of that progress. So at which point it's safe to deploy, optimize it, review it, enhance it, et cetera, et cetera, and keep going through that cycle. We often use the ITIL phrase of 
plan do check and act, don't we? PDCA is a way of checking things. But yeah, there's lots of different tools out there. And I guess, you know, coming back to my point, it's about important to utilize your people in the right way, be kind and encourage them, enable them and empower them to deliver. And, and you know, what you said too, it, it makes me think about how, and I, you know, I've cited this example before. I remember when Lowe's rolled out self-checkout which is a, a form of automation, right? I, I was incredibly annoyed because I said, here I am buying a product from you, you know, I'm, I'm paying for you to check me out. So please like, you know, do that. My, my second or third time around though, I realized that Lowe's had deployed these people in the store. So I need to go build, you know, shelving units in my bedroom and I'm going to explore the shell. I have no idea. You know, I'm not a builder. And, and there's a person there now that can connect with me human to human. And at the point of ser service or the point of care, like where I need the help, which is in finding what things will best suit my bedroom. And they would assist me. And then I would go to self-check. So it, you know, I just bring that up because you know, the people are still crucial, you know, even though we've implemented this layer of automation and in healthcare, I, I think it's the same thing. I mean, people mentioned from a clinical standpoint, allowing docs and, and nurses to operate at the top of their license, of course, right? That's the, the intention there. But even for, you know, administrators or, you know, folks where maybe some, some or, or perhaps even all of their job may become automated at some point, them being freed up to then connect more with the patients, create an even more compassionate experience. I think that's the, that's really it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there's been quite a bit of research, isn't there, in that space. I think McKinsey did one on kind of the role of the human being in modern workforce and, you know, the role of automation and, you know, thinking at a higher level and using bots and technology to do kind of those constantly repeatable tasks and being able to operate at that level. But you, you also touched on the interesting point, which I think is about that kind of personalized care, which is by the very nature of health and care, you get people of all ages, all backgrounds, all religions, all diversity treated within that health and care setting. And to each individual, they have a preference about perhaps how their treats are all cared for. But one thing, there's a common denominator. They want to be cared for. And we have a duty of care, and that is free at the point of delivery. And that's one of the wonderful things. And I love the NHS for this, which is it provides one of the best healthcare systems in the world. And we do it at that point. But we are able to also try and acknowledge that patients have different needs. So if they want a virtual consult as part of their care, we should try to give them a virtual consult if we can. And if that individual has a device on which they can engage in that way. Being a cardiothoracic centre, most of our patients come to our hospital for a procedure. So, you know, that's the nature of our business. But what we do signpost out using uh, telephony or um, using virtual consults, using the kiosk check-in process to make things faster, we try to, and it hopefully aids the experience of our of our, our patients and citizens to accept the right care at the right time in the right way. And I think that's really important, but also to acknowledge that not everybody has access to technology, not everybody access to broadband or Wi-Fi, 
And so it's really important to meet them where they're at. So we send letters to some individuals. Some like to sign into our portal to get patient letters and correspondence. And I think it's important to make sure you can administer that care in the right way to the right patient with, with the relevant needs. That would be important. Yeah, agreed. So great dialogue, Andy. Curious, I l- I'd like to know, what would you say is one of the most important things that you learned along your journey, personally or professionally? And what was life like before learning it and after learning? It's a big question. And thank you for asking it, David. So much, I think the fundamental is really to deliver. And I think in terms of looking back over my career, so enjoying it, so enjoying being a CIO in a, you know, top 100 hospital, it's fantastic. And to have been nominated as CIO 100. But I think it's that piece that, you know, the technology is there. I think it's the people bit and wherever you are, be kind, work with integrity, do your very best for your people and your patients, particularly in the health and care setting. I think that that's vitally important because I think if you're like that, people will talk to you and people will share with you the kind of issues they're dealing with. And once you can do that and listen and learn in that respect, you can start to get underneath the problem. And I think technology is a way of continually improving things, right? You need ethics. You need a, a hat on that is around, you know, in terms of patient information, that relationship between a clinician and the patient is based on trust. And if we misuse that or lose that data or we suffer an outage or a data breach or a cyber attack even, you know, it brings into question, regardless what preventative measures you may have taken, some of the kind of credibility around that. And I think that's really hard fought but easily lost. And I think that is a real challenge. So so I think it's having humility to accept when you may be wrong, be kind to people and surround yourself with good people who have got that ethic and aligned with your vision and your values for providing great service. And I think the technology can therefore lays on that kind of bedrock of a solid foundation on which to build and champion change. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Couldn't have said it better. So, Andy, I want to talk more about, you know, your current role at at Royal Papworth. Before we do, I always just like to ask favorite book or literary piece, either that you've been reading currently or all time, your choice. I think a favorite of mine is one I've been trying to practice recently with Limited success is leaders eat last, and it's really a descriptor or material which describes actually how, as leaders, we should practice servant leadership. And I think doing things to others that you'd have them do to you, being able to lead by first supporting people is really important. And I think it it kind of inspires you and there's there's many stories i think where we hear of good deeds done by people and i i think it's transformative and it really takes people with you yeah i have to check that out i haven't read that one so but servant leadership you know i think for me emotional intelligence in in leadership really understanding the the person that's sitting there is 
dealing with all of life's stuff, you know, and we all have our stuff. And something I also had to learn was that in regard to mentoring or training people, like everyone learns in different ways. How am I meeting those folks where they're at? Just like I've learned, I've had to meet, you know, clients where they're at, you know, people are complex, right? And I can't have a static way of leading. So that's, you know, very insightful, Andy. And it's a book by Simon Sinek. If you get a chance, I think is definitely worth a read. And I think in your position, it is a very privileged one. You're working on the board. And so you're often the voice of your people doing that. If you're not kind or you're not supportive of them, how can it take a position to an exec committee or a board with one which is credibility and supportive and speaking of the people in, in that, you know, unified context, because I think that's really important. How you are and how you're perceived and seen and interact with your teams is crucial to that. Um, so yeah, I'm a massive advocate of that. I think there's lots of technologies we can talk about. You know, we talked about generative AI and large language models and all of the great things, but also, you know, wherever there's a yin, there's a yang, isn't there? So what technology is used for good can also be used for bad. What keeps me up at night, cybersecurity, right? Cyber posturing, that data aspect. But fundamentally, the people, the leadership and management of is up there. Yeah. There was a, a moment years ago that I trying to remember exactly what brought it on, but it was one of those pivotal moments where you have, I've had these perspective shifts throughout my life that I can, you know, some of which were brought on by really difficult situations. But this one in particular was a moment where I really became ultra aware of my interactions and the way that I was showing up with people that I may otherwise have been indifferent. And that could very well be a colleague or a subordinate. It could be the barista in a coffee shop. And and this is not to say that I was a jerk, you know, or prior to this moment, right? Or even discourteous. It was just that I wasn't, I wasn't there, you know, because I was thinking about myself. I was thinking about where I needed to be or what I needed to do or what I needed to achieve. And, you know, what happened over the course of my journey was I, that kind of flipped on its head where it was like, how can I show up and give of myself? And I think like, when I think about servant leadership, that's what it, it is for me. It's like, how am I showing up and, and being of service to in the world? to my family, to my colleagues, and I can show up and be of service to anyone, you know, obviously by like holding the door and stuff like that, but even by just like offering a kind remark or a smile or, you know, whatever it is, right. You could change someone's day just by being there with them, you know? Absolutely right, David. And there's always a story, isn't there, behind somebody's face or appearance in the morning, the stuff that's perhaps in their bags, left at their doorstep that you don't even know about. It's not even surfaced. And every interaction that you have can matter in those circumstances. And every time you may not react in that way, 
And it might be because you're busy, you're upset, or you have your own stresses. We all do. By the way, this is no indication that I get any of this right. And I'm not saying that, but it is a case that you do become more, I think, mindfulness, having mindfulness of those things makes you aware of that. And I think it makes you aware of, you know, your own vulnerabilities, the vulnerabilities of other people and that kind of humanity that you, you need to have. And it's true what they say, isn't it? The civility costs costs lives, incivility costs lives rather. And I think that's the, you know, the concern is a lot of people are living, as we know, with perhaps mental health conditions and it, it is concerning and therefore it doesn't take anything to be kind. Right. And I mean, like, you know, personally, I've suffered with like diagnosed anxiety over the course of my life or you know, I had insomnia at one point, like that stuff, like it, it happens. And I, the leaders that I, I think sometimes folks can believe that, you know, a true successful, right. Leader, you know, has to be this like, you know, full force that like, isn't necessarily kind or that's striving so much that, and it may be at the expense of others. Right. But the leaders that I, appreciate the most are those humble leaders. And, and I'll tell you some of the guys that I've had on this podcast even have made exits like super, super successful, but humble and connected and all the things that we're talking about. And I think if we had more leaders like that, you know, and not to be all Pollyanna, but I, I think it, it would make a real difference in the world. And I, I, I appreciate what you said too, about the fact that like, for me, it's not like I'm enlightened now and like, oh, you know, it's for me, it's a daily practice, right? I can easily get caught up in my own BS, but the fact, the mindfulness, right. Allows me to come back to it. You know, because this is where I want to be, but I digress. No, I, it's a really important point, isn't it? it actually what we're talking about, this is the stuff that matters, I think. It, it, almost the technology is secondary, I think, is what I'm saying, is actually, you know, know yourself, know, know what triggers you have internally, what frustrates you, what makes you tense, what makes you stress, what makes you, you know, kind of burst almost at, at the seams and be able to react in the right way to those things. And, you know, one of them with me, which I'm trying to work, is that kind of homework-life balance, right? Is when you're under a lot of pressure, your hours kind of, Where's the start and the end to this day? You know, and if you have a family and at those times, those are really important. And making sure that message is also sent back to your team, that you're making time for those things and that you're, you're not always preoccupied in that sense is making sure that time is valuable and precious. Being able to take holiday and trust and empowering your team that it's in, under control when you're not there and that the show goes on. Is, is, you know, there's lots of dynamics, I think, to leadership that we don't always talk about, which show confidence in your own team that they have the ability to work without you, make decisions without you, that um, they've got that uh, ownership and that you're confident in their every success. And I think, you know, that kind of really ranks this conversation off for, for me, which is, you know, it is about those people, that team that helps um, drive that. And I'm a member of that team. It's just that I'm the member of that team that sits on the board and hopefully helps 
contribute to that discussion around not only the transformative stuff, but how we make a difference um, as a hospital in our communities and in the country. I mean, I love it. I, I love that Disruptive Innovators, too, as a podcast, gets to showcase this kind of stuff. I always thought it was going to be just this like tech podcast and it tur- has turned into this conversation about leadership. And like you said, you know, transformation require in my experience, right? Like the best disruptors that I see are practicing this stuff, right? So Andy, you are, you know, CIO at Royal Papworth Hospital. Let's talk a little bit about your vision for IT and digital, you know, for the hospital and perhaps some of the key initiatives that you're focused on that you are able to to share with us. Yeah, fantastic. So we're at a very exciting time. I think we normally run with about 70 plus transformative projects on our portfolio at any one time. And I, I think that the best one I speak to, I think, have a plan and make sure you know that in those projects, there's some sort of ordering and some sort of review process that tells you what's important and matches the organization vis- visions and values. So, so yeah, we're involved in some very exciting initiatives. One of the um, ones we were looking at is around shared care at the moment. This is um, a great capability that we've got, which utilizes um, interoperability standards um, like um, Fire and HL7 to be able to communicate from computer application to application. So if you imagine in the health and care space, there are a lot of EHRs or electronic patient records, which may be disparate. So it's great that we've got a a, a shared care record that can take data from those systems and reflect them back in individual computer systems. So you get a single version of the truth and a view of the patient's record. So we're doing a lot of work around that and joining that up. And that's been a long journey in health and care. And I'm really pleased we're on the cusp of doing something great with that. And the benefits to clinicians and patients on that respect are huge. So not only does it mean that patients aren't having to give their information necessarily more than once, because hopefully you should be able to see it regardless of what setting you're in. Hopefully it'll cut down perhaps on their travel. It may mean that clinicians are much more equipped when they're seeing those patients with things like histories, but it's been a a fantastic journey to see this. So in the coming months, we're hoping to be able to share acute hospital data so we can already see primary care data. So our GP interactions with patients, but acute care data is going to become really important in that as we go forward. So that's probably our number one project at the moment, but not only that, we're using some exciting AI in diagnostics to look at perhaps first opinion in terms of here's an image of a patient, perhaps a CT or a, an X-ray, and we're using AI to be able to articulate, oh, you know, what's that? Have you missed that? Have you seen it? And then be able to use our clinicians, our radiographers more proactively then, bearing in mind their time as well. And quite in the NHS, quite a backlog to get through those number of patients that are having the scans at the moment, that's going to be really helpful. So that's an, another initiative that we're working on. And then thirdly, one of the projects that the team have, and I've just been around looking at it only today, is one of called Scan for Safety, which is becoming a national priority, I'm pleased to say, in the coming year. And this again uses a standard. It uses what, what we call GS1. It's a barcode standard. 
And what it enables is full traceability. And you probably recall the horse meat scandal, David, or the breast implant scandal, where they couldn't necessarily, where they utilized the barcode to trace back where the products came from. And we're taking that really seriously in the hospital. And it became ever prevalent within the pandemic, right? Whereby, you know, we accelerated a lot of our digital technologies in the hospital, not only kind of throwing open the doors on VCs and AV and uh, that, those kind of technologies. But, you know, our RFID network, for example, enables staff to pinpoint equipment when they haven't got time to look for things. We've got RFID network right through this hospital, which provides a breadcrumb trail and full traceability of equipment that we've tracked and traced down to a room. Even if a wheelchair might walk out of the building, we know it's gone out of the building. And I think there's attributed to tens of thousands of pounds lost each year because you, you don't necessarily know where the asset is or you reorder that same asset and it's costing lots of money. So that's one initiative, but there's lots within that GS1 ecosystem from our blood track, which means that we can trace blood to a patient using, again, barcode standards, which enables right patient gets the right blood or medicines management, right patient, right drug, right time. I think Interpol did some research in 2018 that pulled down something like there are a million deaths attributed per year to counterfeit drugs that are entering the market. So we have robots. We've got a fantastic new relationship with a partner in, in Cambridge that develops surgical robots, and we're the first to implement the surgical robot here. We've done 70-plus procedures since the, the robots augmented our sur thoracic surgical team. It's fantastic. It's been shortlisted for award. Really excited about it. All the surgeons are excited about it. It's meaning less invasive surgery for patients, less bed stays for patients, and they're going home earlier. So uh, there's lots going on, exciting times, and really a bit innovative, which a lot of it is being driven by our, our clinicians. So yeah, exciting times, David. I think there may be challenging times coming, given some of the constraints around finances, which you all know about. We're all trying to do a bit to help optimize what we've got to move forward. But nonetheless, it's been an exciting year in 2023. But yeah, hopefully that shares a bit about some of the innovations we're working on. Yeah, of course. I am curious, not to delve too deep into it, but in regard to the first kind of subject you mentioned concerning interoperability between EHRs and that sort of thing. Is that a, a, a platform that you guys are building yourselves or a platform that you are build or buy for that kind of unified? Uh, yeah, we bought um, a piece of software that acts in the middle between those EHRs and enables you to connect um, using open APIs. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I am curious. I mean, you, you kind of mentioned the financial challenge. Would you say that that's like a, a concern or a challenge for health systems, I would say glo globally, really at this time, post pandemic, what would you say or is that, would you say that's the biggest challenge facing you and Royal Papworth today? I think it's certainly one of them. It, it is always with technology costs money, doesn't it? And we try to always leverage where we can to work with partners and to ensure, you know, where there are extensions of my own team, that we've got a great working arrangement and that 
you know, for the taxpayer, we're, we're always trying to get best value for money. You know, it has to work for our patient, it has to work for our services, but we have to be mindful at the same time that money's not infinite and that we have to control that spend. And I think one of the things that I prize my team on is a really tight grip on what I call living within our means and utilizing a budget, which is, you know, very frugal and it's not splashing at the cash and technology. And my team will often mention the mantra, you know, I've got this great idea, Andy, and we talk about the last three ideas that we had and decided we haven't implemented any of those. So is this new idea going to be a game changer or are we going to have to sunset it? And by the way, if we're going to switch something on, what are we switching off? And I think that, you know, you, you can end up with huge amount of technical debt if you're not managing that level of discipline in terms of financial rigor, being able to need what you need to do with a focus on the organization while managing within what you have. And I think that becomes really pertinent back to my earlier point as a CIRO and senior information risk owner and the lens of that these are our patients, we're a data controller for them and that handling and that ecosystem in there is provided by our infrastructure. So you have to live within that context and be able to keep that going. So we each have to think about that. You wouldn't run your own home and your own budgets and go out thinking, I can afford to do this now if you haven't first thought about how you're going to budget for that. And I think it's a very simple rule that it's easy to get out of control and get further and further out of control if you're not watching that. And I think that's what the taxpayer expects, is what the NHS long-term plan describes as, you know, managing within those constraints. And as a CR, it doesn't do you any favour to have this just growth of technology that you're not managing in a way that you can't control. So I think it's a very important role for the CIO and for the organisation that you can show grip in yeah. that respect. Especially when I think, when you bring that up, just for anyone listening, when we're talking about cloud infrastructure, I think it's very easy for a CIO to lose control of cloud infrastructure, ballooning cloud infrastructure spend, you know, if not planned for properly, right? Like you mentioned that plan, I, th that's a perfect example where, you know, proper budgeting, planning, sizing is crucial in order to make sure that you don't have a runaway infrastructure yeah. cost. So that's a great example. Can I is it's a change right from a CapEx to perhaps OpEx. And if you're not having that or you've been used to capital and you've got a refresh program of three thousand devices that are due every four years, you need to factor that. And by the way, can you just move all of that fifty percent of your estate into cloud? Well, you know, something's got to give. There there has to be decisions you make as an organization about what are the priorities and you know if you do something there's for every yin a yang and is the organization happy to you know take that risk in terms of what that yang might be it might be and it might be happy that it, it does that but i think increasingly and, and certainly with the in the context of the pressures we're finding ourselves then the cios have to get the finance bit of their job to be able to understand that and be able to manage accordingly. Yeah, 100%. Great stuff, Andy. So a couple last questions I have for you here. You know, one would be, where do you see the healthcare industry 
And maybe you could specify even to the UK going in the future and or what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? You know, acknowledging that you don't have a, a crystal ball, but just any insights you might be able to provide. I think, again, you know, the key things are be mindful and have your eye on the technologies that are coming out. But I think for CIOs, they have to fix the problems that are in front of them. And regardless of necessary hype cycles, if that technology isn't fixing the problem you've got, you may want to focus on the technology that is going to fix that issue. Do not be swathed by swarms of inundated with, you know, you should be doing this the latest thing because you can spend time and burn money very quickly doing that and to still have the problems that you started with, even once you finish gazing at whatever that latest red balloon might be. And I think is to acknowledge those things, acknowledge that we in the NHS, we're here for our patients and citizens and making that service as, as effective and as cost-effective as we can for, for them is should be the main driver. That aligned with your vision and your values, making sure whatever's in your project portfolio aligns to doing those things and delivering those things and be stoic and purposeful in trying to achieve those things, not swayed by you know, here's the latest, aren't you doing that yet? And to fall foul of that. And there's lots of pressures. And we know I can spend a lot of my time talking to sales companies about why I should take on their latest technology. So I think it's been strident in that respect, listening to people, be kind ultimately. And I think you'll make a success of it. There are great benefits, no doubt to AI and generative AI and their capabilities, but caution that with right tool for the job and being able to reach for the right thing in your toolkit. Love it. Love that you brought up that stoicism of that. Sunum bonum is one of my mantras, the highest good. So this has been great, Andy. I loved it. Thank you, David. Yeah. Last question is just, if you go back five, 10, 15 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh gosh. Besides buy Amazon stock. <laughs> I think it's have the courage in yourself and have more self-confidence to believe in yourself, in your actions and in what you say, pending all of that knowledge and wisdom you get as you get older and as you've read more and you learn more by doing right. I, I think it's having the courage to perhaps sometimes stick to your convictions and being confident in your own ability that is that you have an opinion that matters and that sometimes people may not agree with your opinion, but you have an opinion and that matters. Don't be fearful of sharing it. I think that's probably me. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I could have used that advice when I was a, a budding entrepreneur, that fear of failure, all of that is, is real and that confidence and the courage really to to sit through that discomfort and push through and then be able to leverage that as a reference to serve. Great way to end the episode, Andy. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. You're welcome, David. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for your time. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes.
This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.